welcome in listeners to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have another fantastic guest coming to us from uh, another Frigid New York Festival, this time from the Frigid New York's Funny Immigrants Festival. Joining us, we have the writer and performer Anu Vaidyanathan, whose show From BC to 80 before children, after diapers, is playing at the Funny Immigrants Festival, which is January 7th through the 14th at the Crane Theater and under St. Mark's. Anu, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It's a pleasure. I am so excited to be speaking with you and I've been excited about this, you know, for days since I've been looking at your, your bio. You you are a unique, you are a very unique um, a performer because you are a, a comedian, a writer, a performer, and an engineer. Yes. Yes, so, I got very tired of sticking forks in toasters. So I decided <laughs> at some point you have to give up that dumb profession and move forward. Although now it doesn't feel so dumb. Uh, it pays the bills. So, yeah. Uh, whatever pays the bills, right? So it's all good. Um, but it was a it was a bit of an evolution from one thing to the other. I'm always happy to to talk about it. But yeah, yeah, yes, it, so it blew me away because I was just like, I love that. Listen, to do comedy and to do it right, you already have to be smart. But then you're like, by the way, I also have an engineering degree. Boom, and I'm like, so she's super smart. I can't wait to see this show. This is incredible. And you've also been trained at the Royal uh, Dramatics Academy. I mean, your your CV is astounding. But of course, we're not here just to talk about your incredible training. We are here to talk about your upcoming performance at the Funny Immigrant Festival with your show from BC to AD, Before Children After Diapers, which it sounds absolutely hilarious. And I'm as a as a, as a prospective parent someday, I'm like reading about it and I'm like, okay, this sounds fantastic. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your show? Um, the show really is about the two phases of life, you know, uh, before having children, obviously, uh, maybe women a little bit more so than men uh, seem to have aspirations that, you know, they could potentially fulfill uh, at whatever time frame. But I think having children... Um, not only puts the brakes in things, but it also sort of creates new diversions in your path if you're if you're smart enough to recognize it, at least in my case. Uh, because I think until my kids came along, I was very much um, a neurotic engineer. You know, all I knew was to sort of um, fix things that I that I was you know tasked to to do or you know to, to sort of uh, make. And I think that uh, once I had my first child, I realized that children are not really they don't give a shit about differential equations, you know. Uh, they are more about, um, you know, that 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 color or that sound, uh, or you know, the song that you know maybe I'm singing, you know, while I'm cutting vegetables or something. So, it was a very, it was a, it was a very unexpected kind of learning for me uh, about what makes the world tick. And I think also at the time I had a um, an offer to write a book. Uh, which is a memoir about my days as an athlete. Um, and so I I embraced that opportunity a little bit more than I needed to, at least, you know, I thought, you know, let me see where I can go if I went all the way, you know, and I took the time out to, you know, embrace the writing of the book. 
and uh, that led to many other things you know film festival uh, an adaptation offer uh, trying to understand how films are made i was so stupid i didn't know that films were made from books you know because i haven't owned a tv uh, most of my adult life so you know it was something of a caveman like walking out <clears throat> into the sun or something you know like a neanderthal and um once i got a whiff of you know how difficult it is to uh, write a good piece of drama you know there was no looking back you know or or a good piece of text let's just say a good piece of text um i felt like it it really carved a new path for me and uh, somehow i could also relate to my motherhood you know in a much more healthy manner you know rather than being on the clock and you know being very bound by time and all these unforgiving things that you know <clears throat> we have to do in the semblance of a job especially a high pressure job so um yeah i think i think it really it really was um an, an evolution for me personally i don't know about how others landed this but for me this is how it happened and and of course the pandemic helped uh, in its own way to recognize that you know um everybody calls themselves a director of film these days because film is very ubiquitous you know anyone with an iphone can make a film this is a shot by the iphone you know <laughs> exactly exactly um and so i think i was always very uh, keen on you know the skill you know behind anything it's not it's not really the outcome of whatever you are pursuing it's more the the skill that always drew me uh, or the difficulty of what you were trying to do and and i think with filmmaking it became very obvious that um as you you know i think you said in one of your episodes you said it very nicely you said in theater there's an element of humanity i think it was your last episode if i was listening to it you know i think in in all filmmaking in all making of you know art that extends beyond one individual you have to have that human element you have to know that outward facing part of yourself which is ready to take on or put out you know energy that is good for the art or or whatever research you're trying to create and i feel like yeah the the pandemic really uh, sort of incarcerated my filmmaking to an extent where i had to go out and make something that i could get feedback from immediately and stand up was kind of the answer because i i unwittingly found myself in uh, clown school um in etamp france uh, i didn't know this guy trained uh, sasha baron cohen uh, oh. so, yeah i was there for for a, i well i was supposed to be there for two weeks uh, but i ended up staying a month at philippe golier's uh, clown school um and that's when that was my first taste of what what an actor's life is or a performer's life is and so to call yourself a good director it's not good enough to for me at least it didn't feel like i knew enough to sound intelligent if i sat on only one side you know and said move left move right you know that's bullshit so i think clown school really um opened up so many possibilities for me and one of them was stand up because i think the the world was starting to open up and i finished that um that training and i didn't feel like giving it all up you know so started with 5 minutes then 10 minutes and then putting the whole hour together you know the year that followed so yeah i hope that was not a very long answer but yes no no that was amazing that was a fascinating answer so how did you come up with the idea of the show focusing on essentially you know becoming a mother becoming a parent um i think i recognized that that was the point where the road forked if you will you know before that it was you know very very simple uh, the, like the trajectory was quite boring you know i got a lot of degrees i did a lot of sport um i got a job i met the love of my life everything was fine 
but then uh, motherhood hits you sideways you know you think you know everything about yourself and your partner but actually you don't know anything you know you, you have to sort of start from ground zero and i think the problem only multiplies with having two you know more than one child because at least for me i felt the pressure of um, recalibrating myself um so much more when i had my second one you know the first one if it just you know uh, my first, my son you know he just made me think about writing books uh having my daughter you know really opened up the whole sky kind of thing you know like i had to really rediscover what i valued or you know even who i wanted to be <laughs> which at that point in time you you think you would know those things but i didn't and uh so i i figured that that was the most pivotal point of my sort of um, you know reentry into life and i thought you know what a great moment to sort of um, make fun of you know like take it take it easy you know because it's also something you can wax poetic about for years but that's all boring you know um and i don't want to um I, well i didn't i didn't take that tack because i also come from a family that relentlessly makes fun of each other you know and we are quite you know quite notorious for you know never letting anyone have a a dull moment so i think those those things were already set uh, but i just thought you know it would be nice to sort of put a fun spin on it rather than you know woe is me or whatever you know so because woe wasn't me uh, my husband is very much uh, uh, you know a very hands on parent you know uh, and i think indian women at least some of us have had the opportunity to be far more empowered than most of the world might think of us to be and so i think um there was no woe so there was more fun and that's yeah that's how it got started now you you'd mentioned previously that, um you know obviously it's hard to direct if you don't have the other the experience on the other side you know knowing how the actor works and that so what has it been like developing this the stand up show with that director's knowledge now with the actor's knowledge and now with the writer's knowledge how's that been developing this show as a whole oh it's been very very difficult uh and <laughs> yeah nothing i would prescribe except to my worst enemy and uh, i think you know but but to be to be very honest with you i think that there is a difference between stand up and acting because uh, at least the reason i do it is because you know it gives me um it gives me a way to sort of uh, equalize you know and because you know my my job is very outward facing when i make a film i'm a woman in a pit of men mostly men and so i feel like stand up uh, gives me the opportunity to directly say whatever i'm thinking because i am like that i'm a very direct person uh, which does not help the human element of making art as you as you said but i think that stand up is a little bit different from acting i don't think i have any chops for acting at any point of time in my life because i believe that um at least in in having the 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 great privilege of being around so many people who've dedicated themselves to this very difficult profession i feel like it needs a it needs a different it needs a different psyche if you will you know to be an actor that than i have uh, but i think stand up is kind of a half halfway house you know it it's kind of that place where you can still express your ideas directly make fun of the world make fun of yourself whatever the situation um but you also you know you have this Uh, and you have a you have a platform to communicate that idea with just a mic that's all you need really you don't need or you know just a platform you don't need much more than that and um 
in in terms of concocting the show i think it really helped that i was a i was a writer because that part you know felt a little bit smoother than maybe you know some 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 of my other peers you know but I, what i really faced a huge challenge with was in building the performance piece by piece you know five minutes at a time testing the set you know then figuring out how it fit into the bigger scheme of things um and then as a director i only had that view of myself after i had done the whole edin reference you know after 25 shows i could say that okay this really didn't work because you know the problem is when you write and you perform your own show you're too close to the material and mm-hmm. you don't feel uh, you know even if people give you input it takes a lot of time for it to seep as far as it should you know for you to incorporate that change so these were the kind of pitfalls of writing directing performing if it were up to me i would really have someone direct me in the future because i feel like um you know that would be invaluable but that relationship is a very difficult one as we all know right i mean actors and directors it has to come with or a performers and directors it has to come with this very trusting uh, sort of tunnel and of course for a stand up comedian you know we don't have that luxury you know very often yeah. so the audience yeah. is almost like the director and yeah, exactly. you can only trust them so far you know because yeah. one night it can be like oh they loved it the next yeah. night it's like it didn't work what happened you know yeah. so that's a yeah. great great point to bring up yeah. you mentioned that you you performed this at the edinburgh fringe festival so how long have you been working on bcad to be fair i only started stand up 29th of september 2021 so it was within 12 months that i built the show uh, only because i think i was also in a in a phase of life where i i was so parched for feedback you know uh, because we'd been indoors for two years we couldn't do anything you know like we our hands were tied i was not part of a film school you know so there's nothing taken care of in terms of making films or even there was no enabler so i was really um, so thirsty for feedback and so thirsty for any artistic sort of uh, opportunity you know so these 5 minute 10 minute sets you know at these big clubs because in europe i think there is a bit of a renaissance when it comes to comedy you know it's not like the rest of the uk i feel like there are far, there's far more air you know you can play a lot you can play as much as you want really um and so i i was very greedy to breathe that air in you know and so i went out almost you know every every week uh, there would be a set you know that i would try to perform a perfect you know and that made for the 12 minutes and there was there's one big club in berlin that's been my sort of um, token home my honorary home because the the guy who runs it is also a kindred soul you know like he he's very very kind and very aware of how difficult it is to be an immigrant and try to do this you know um so i think he gave me this kind of uh, you know platform that put me in front of 170 on a good night you know and then there is no hiding right you either you know you either suck or you got it you know you you so you know there, there's no hiding and and that really helped me and so i built it over you know whatever like 10 months uh and the hour you know i i did a few tester shows uh of course nothing prepares you for the fringe because it's also a lot of time on your feet if you're self produced you know it's like um, you're basically busking it you know uh, you're getting in on other lineups you're handing out flyers and i was very insecure because you know um it felt very much out of my element to be there in the first couple of days but then that much that congregation of artistic energy like did a number on my head you know and somehow just lifted my soul to 
to a to a great degree and and i i survived you know there was no problem uh, my kids came and visited me for about 8 days out of the 25 which was the hardest part you know uh, because that separation but i'd spoken to other comics who had children and <clears throat> they'd helped me a lot in planning everything and so it really helped yeah and uh, and i was also part of the soho theater labs uh, so there was a lot of good things that happened you know that that brought me there and so yeah it took about 10 months to write and then it'll take me 2 years to unhinge from it What is the message or the thought that you're hoping audiences will leave with? The message I'm hoping they leave with is two things. One is, you know, parenting is really a game of attention. Uh it's really about listening. It's not about reacting as as we are made to believe even in a comic vein, you know. Um and the second thing is that give up, you know, just give up and don't don't try to control the world. Don't try to put down calendars and schedules and, you know, 24 don't that that whole calendar thing like drives me crazy, which, you know, was the you know, it, it is unimaginable for me to be saying this because I am someone who as an athlete always had a watch on her wrist and who as an engineer was always, you know, on a clock for something or the other, right? So there's no but now i'm just like no that makes no sense and so that's one of the big things in the show is that just give up you know uh, because everything is going to fall on your head anyway i like that optimistic message just give up just give up now <laughs> just give up and then you won't be disappointed <laughs> in the long run <laughs> exactly exactly and and you know to be fair i think um give up is very it's much more profound than just give up uh, because my husband recently got me a book about um, zen you know zen meditation where he says all of meditation is all about just sitting down and i thought yeah he just gave up and he sat down and that's it you know so yeah it's uh, i'm yeah i think i'm uh, looking to the to the great zen masters for my next piece so yeah <laughs> love it last question about your show um yeah. who do you hope have access to it you know i'm very taken by that question because um the fringe really surprised me i believed when i began playing that uh my show catered to a certain demographic right i thought it would be parents it would be women something whatever was going through my head because you have to go through the process but i feel like the fringe really threw me because um it showed me that the the cross section of audiences were was far more diverse than i could have ever imagined so if that's your question then i would want everyone to have access to it um but i'm not sure if that's your question is that your question who in terms of demographics or anyway? yeah yeah or just like is there a, is there a specific group you hope are able to to gain access to see your show um like parents maybe or yeah. you know um people of color or that kind of thing i think i think it is pretty much uh, everyone above the age of 25 perhaps you know that was probably my biggest learning from the fringe is that you can't uh, you know i couldn't i couldn't put a sort of funnel around who was you know who was my base audience and the reason that happened is because i feel like 
some of the anecdotes the men were also relating to you know in terms of the loss of physical faculty which which was very surprising for me you know i thought only women might relate to it because we've given birth we are struggling but i think maybe because men are also much more hands on as parents these days or whatever whatever their story was i wouldn't know because you know in a day you don't know who's walking in um i felt like um you know there were people that related to it that i did not expect to relate to it and as far as other uh, you know cultures or cross section of people or you know um you know people of color or whatever else i think all in sundry like because my sort of life has taken me all over the world it it feels like as a parent i'm not 100% you know uh, the helicopter indian mom you know i really want my time <laughs> you know you know what i'm saying like i sometimes feel like i'm ha- you know uh, what's that guy's name uh, indiana jones's father you mm-hmm. know who's constantly reading history books and you know whenever the child shows up he's like bugger off you know your sandwiches on the table so <laughs> i sometimes i feel you know i am that parent too so i don't want to sugarcoat this and say you know um look at me i'm indian because i have a nose ring like the nose ring is actually an optical illusion yeah it's it's a stage prop so i i don't want to give anyone any wrong wrong hopes but no everyone uh, everyone is welcome and um but you know the thing is the funny thing is um maybe in the transition from objectivity to subjectivity you know from science to art i already had this sense back then but it became much more clear as i started to write is that the human experience is vastly you can find so much commonality and you know that it's not it's you know that's not the ink drop in the well you know uh you can find commonality and i feel like every mother has those two you know multiple sides you know that they can sort of speak to you know whether it's it's hovering or not hovering you know or in this case i just want to read a history book bugger off you know so um <laughs> Yeah so i i think all all cross sections are welcome and hopefully they'll enjoy something yeah now is this your first time at the funny immigrants festival yes it's my first time in new york uh, playing oh, as a comic yeah so i'm very um well of course i've been to new york before for two days i think um as part of some race um but yeah it's my first time playing in new york so i'm i'm really excited because i feel like um i've i've gone to college in the united states you know for almost close to a decade right i got all my degrees there and most of my degrees there and i feel like um as serious as the midwestern work ethic was you know um there was always this great sense of humor that that percolated even the more darkest corner of academia so i feel like um i'm very curious and and i speak very fast which uh in some demographics can be a bit of a a challenge you know if especially if you're playing in berlin or one of these other places where you know the second language is english then people have there is a distance that the joke has to travel uh but when you're speaking to a native english audience uh, and especially an audience where the you know the gift of the gab is not so such a big challenge like it it i feel very uh, very ch- you know like sort of uh, i'm really looking forward to it because i can't wait to see what the audience is like and um yeah so it's my first time playing in new york um <laughs> i might be putting you on the spot on this with this question but can you tell us anything about the funny immigrants festival can i tell you anything <clears throat> about it 
I can. I really like them a lot. I think uh, they pick up uh, all kinds of crazy people uh, to showcase, which I really love. Um, and I've had friends who've done it in the past who sort of uh, said very good things about it. So I feel like if there be a gentle landing, you know, into this new world, if you will, uh, I feel this would be the best introduction for, for someone like me, you know. And this is through, you know, speaking to so many other comics who have performed and, you know, have had very good things to say. And uh, I can certainly say the coordinator, Eris, has been more than more than a pleasure to work with because I feel like the, the longer I do comedy, you know, I feel like you're also in a very precarious position when it comes to taking on, you know, a travel to to do these things, even if it is just an hour to Berlin or if it is, you know, 30 minutes out. And I feel like... Um, you know, so this year I have a, this very um, sincere aspiration to only work with people that I'm really looking forward to working with. And um, and I think this festival really feels like a very good start to my year. You know, that's that's what I can say. And and it's New York, you know, so I can't ask for anything more. Uh, so this is a, a festival that they invite essentially non-American comedians to perform at. Is that right? Well, it, it seems that way. And uh, from the roster, it looks like most of us are not from the US. Uh, like uh, there are a couple of Europeans. Uh, there's me. Uh, I believe Lucy Pohl is on it, uh, who's a local comedian. Uh, but I, you know, I've seen her podcasts. You know, she's she does something uh, around, you know, uh, around immigrants as well. And I feel like, you know, whatever the, the theme of the show is, it, it's more the the dealing with the people that has been the most fun so far. You know, it's not felt like work. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where that will take us. Yeah. Because it, it really takes a lot to get up on stage, you know, every night. Absolutely. And if you don't, yeah. And if you don't have even that friendly face, then it, you know, then you start to think, yeah, what, what, you know, what is this about? And, back to you um what shows in the past or playwrights or composers have inspired you or do you love well the most influential writer at least from the time i started to now is probably arthur miller um mm -hmm. and i used to know death of a salesman by heart uh, at some point in, in my life and i feel like um the reason he's so prolific is because my dad used to be a salesman, you know, and I feel like in, in the early years of his life, and I feel having witnessed that as a child and then uh, reading this as an adult really showed me the possibility of a tale well told, you know, uh, because, you know, that is all fiction for you. You know, you start with a, a sliver of truth and then you let your mind run, you know, and I felt like uh, there is no better play to sort of um, introduce yourself too, you know, when it comes to setting the bar. And um, of course, his whole group was very, was really talented. And uh, one of the first books I read on the craft was probably Kenneth Rowe, uh, who taught Arthur Miller, you know, where they talk about, you know, what good dramaturgy means, you know, 
And in terms of other playwrights, you know, I have a whole slew of them, uh, including Tamilian playwrights. You know, I'm I'm of Tamil origin, so I uh, I also greatly worship, you know, the, the cinema that comes out of our own backyard, you know, especially the cinema made in the 60s and 70s in South India across languages was far more, I don't know, it's it's kind of a different mind space altogether, you know, because all these issues about women and, you know, how the world looks at the water, whatever that term they have for us, the third world, you know, uh, all of that representation back in the 60s and 70s was far more bold and empowering than it is today, you know, in, in modern Indian cinema, you know, where we are showing the empowerment of women, maybe by saying that we have equal access to earning or whatever. But I feel like those conversations were far more prolific in the 60s and 70s, where they also talked about sexual freedom. They talked about, you know, uh, representation. They talked about um, not wanting, you know, these uh, whatever, whatever the societal structures we were supposed to want or whatever. And I feel like actually um, that there's a there's a whole cornucopia in Tamil dramaturgy as well. Obviously, because mo- most of my education in film has been in London, um, a lot of and, and a lot of the plays I have watched are, you know, uh, in, in the West End or, you know, the smaller theatres in London. I'm very keenly aware of the new playwrights that are coming up, you know, there's uh, and from the fringe, there's Liz Kingsman, who's done the one woman show which I'm really looking forward to watching. But the one play that I really regret not being able to watch in person was probably Fleabag. Because I think that that whole thing is like a meme at the at the Edinburgh Fringe, you know, because she's, for good or bad, for good or bad, uh, I really find it funny when, when men get very indignant about the fact that Fleabag is a meme. You know, because she, I mean, whatever she did with that play, I don't think, you know, uh, I don't think it ended at, um, just the creation of the TV series, you know, because there mm-hmm. was that play where that actor was on stage for 25 performances, sweating it out on the stage, you know, and doing things that were performatively engrossing to an audience, you know. So I feel those are the kinds of um, things that I, um, it really interests me, you know, to see the history of things, you know, and to sort of see how far you can take an idea and I can I can name all the playwrights I love. Uh, of course, in Britain, they're greatly biased towards this bald man called Shakespeare. Um, he haunts my dreams. Uh, <laughs> Take two now. Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like who, who? But yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's uh, he does haunt my dreams because uh, he's also a big favorite at Rada. So, and uh, you know, there's a uh, Susan Glasspell. Uh, one of the first women playwrights in America, she wrote um, she wrote a really clever play called Trifles. You know, very clever play, uh, and did very well. So the early women playwrights were also very interesting, and and as are the as are the current you know stock. Um, but presently, my my brain is entirely um, on a documentary that I'm editing. Um, so I'm sort of. Uh, reading more poetry than prose or plays right now. Uh, and I'm, you know, worshipping at the altar of Chris Marker, you know, who made this film called Sans Soleil, which is prolific. Um, so, but yes, I will come up with a list of playwrights by the time this episode is over. But yes, <laughs> some, of the, some of the names I can throw out immediately. Yeah. And, well, and of course, you know, um, here, the, I mean, in, in London, at least the West End, um, it's not a it's not a straight line, you know. A lot of these playwrights have first plays, you know, and I'm always very curious about the first play a playwright ever wrote, including Mr. Miller, you know, because when you look at these archives, when you look at their marginalia, 
that's where you find the level you know that you should be forgiving enough to allow yourself to be at you know yeah and you, and yeah I, i've read a lot of the archives of the ut austin uh, library where you know you just have tons of stuff you can just go go through tons of stuff that you you can then sort of tell yourself okay if it's crappy it's crappy that's fine you know so everybody had to start somewhere and and then you move forward so exactly they don't get the number one hit right out the gate they have to start somewhere and then you're like i can't believe that they wrote this they wrote this incredible work and then they wrote this and it's like yeah because they had to learn how to grow like it so have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners great question uh, see at the edinburgh fringe i was unfortunately a supremely busy nerd who was self obsessed and only only about my own show you know i was so uh, out of it that i had absolutely no time to do anything else but like, i'm just thinking about the last play i watched um i think this was actually pre pandemic there was a play about rothko um at the west end um there's a play about rothko at the west end uh that i really like i've watched all of um jess butterworth's plays i don't know if you know of this playwright um that's yeah yeah he wrote jerusalem and i watched that uh, but this is all pre pandemic i don't i cannot uh, you know cross my heart and say that i've actually been back in a theater post pandemic uh, because i haven't had the opportunity but yeah these are some of the playwrights i've watched i've i'm also uh, you know um, at at one point 2 2 and a half years ago i used to keep my ear to the ground about the new writing that came out of the national theater or you know uh, not so much soho theater because they are a very they well they are at least more known for their comedy than than drama and at that time i was quite um, serious about drama for whatever reason that was the wave i was on But yeah, these are very few names, but yeah, these are the only few things I remember watching of late. Although, um, I think they did Mamet's. Uh, what what was the name of the play where there's a woman who alleges uh, sexual assault? Oliana. Oliana, that's right. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? What's my favorite? It's um, okay. I have an answer for this. as democratizing as film is and that's why i love it because i still think that theater has far too many gatekeepers um, than i would like um, as democratizing as film is i i feel like theater has two things film never will have you know one is you know the liveness of every night because every night is different you know every every night is different it's just different you don't know what because you know uh, as you know the initial theater makers and I think Peter Brooks has said it somewhere as has Goliere in so many words although I could never understand exactly what he was saying is that you you are completing a circle in performance I think Peter Brooks said that it was not Goliere he said that there's a there's a circle you know in in a performance you know it's not just the actor or the performer saying something you know there's there's something that goes out and then comes back to them you know and that's maybe the the shared breathing in the space or whatever the energy and I have had I have had very strange patterns at the fringe myself you know like Sundays it seemed like everyone was hungover you know like uh, and they would all sit like this and you'd be like why do I have to why do I have to be on the stage for an hour and you know uh, on on Thursdays again you know um, I would find this huge uh, sort of line of scottish uh, grandmothers who would be very intent on correcting me that it's not diapers it is uh, nappies you know and how I got my english wrong so you know it was always on a thursday that that happened so I feel like it's the liveness of every night that film can never have it can never have it you shoot on whatever camera you want with whatever class of actor i don't care you know uh, 
it's never going to happen and and also the the fact that as a performer on the other side it feels like that there are that many more chances you know especially if you're a stand up and the stakes are very low and it's on you you know so you feel mm-hmm. like you can have a bad night that's okay you know because there is um or you can have a bad 5 minutes that's okay you know as long as you're able to catch yourself and sort of yeah. power through you know to the next 5 minutes because you're given so many chances you know as as a performer which i'm sure for the number of short films i've made how many takes can i give my actor you know i can give them nine takes 10 takes a dozen you know uh, 25 if somebody funds my films you know but i'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> how many takes can i give my actor you know but here i think the bucket is a little more endless and it's up to you to discover you know uh, what to make of it and that's what i really love about the theater you don't have that and also um as a filmmaker you know especially the ones that keep evoking this nostalgia about films belonging to screens i think that comes from the theater you know because you feel like a performance or a film is a shared communal experience which watching something on netflix really can never be you know uh, yeah. even if it is a stand up special of a comedian you love and have watched 2000 times it's somehow never the same you know and yeah i think i think theater is very different very very different from film and and i love it i love it for those aspects and also all the actors that have that i've worked with um, that are trained as theater actors i secretly like them better don't tell anyone <laughs> so yeah <laughs> So I uh, yeah it's a different it's a different world. But yeah. That's that's going to say between you me and however many listeners we have out there. <laughs> <laughs> We've come to my favorite question I love asking. That is what is your favorite theater memory? My favorite theater memory is again watching a person whose name escapes me but I hope will come back to me at some point. This is the guy who played M in James Bond. uh the british actor who played m in james bond i think he's uh, ralph R- rafians i don't know how you say his name he also acted in made in manhattan so i think that's a quite a variety there but he uh, did a play in in the west end where it was pretty much a poem right he was he was reciting a poem uh, but they had converted it into a play and it was very very stunning to see how much you could do with how little you know uh, basically they just had three they just had three pieces of of wood or uh, you know on the stage you know like it was a like three curt like it, it looked like a uh, three uh, rectangular pieces of wood you know which you could arrange in any which direction you wanted and a couple of lights that's it i think this i maybe this is the most minimalist western production i've ever watched and and to 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 watch him you know go through that hour and some and and doing so much with so little like i that really evoked this great pleasure you know as as an audience member you know just to see that and and just to sort of witness uh, someone so so you know talented obviously for for whatever you know for for the years he has been on stage but also uh, as a you know as a maker of things it was very inspiring to see how much you can do with how little and uh, I'll tell you the name of the play as well in 2 minutes. <laughs> I look it up but yes. Was it Ralph Fiennes? Ralph Fiennes, yeah, I think that's how it was. Four quartets. It's a uh, it's T.S. Eliot um and he mm. was spectacular. He just blew my mind. You know, it was one of those afternoons where you know you you take the cheap ticket and you carry all your bags you throw it into the cloakroom you wish to god you just make it out for your 25 dollar flight and you're thinking oh god i hope this guy is good and or that the understudy is not playing you know 
and you just sit down and you're mesmerized and you're like thank you god thank you for letting me buy this ticket you know because it was really i mean it was just amazing what he did uh, in that hour and you know it didn't there was no drop you know i would think that see uh, i've uh, obviously short films are you know financially extremely constrained and i've witnessed that when you have one or two one actor having to carry most of the load it's very boring for the actor you know when you don't have another actor to cue off of or give you any energy and so i've always thought that monologues were very very difficult inherently you know because you're it's all you but in this particular piece he was just uh, he was off the charts i i didn't like somebody said of some musician no false notes you know nothing nothing there was no fall <laughs> anywhere it was like you know when when is is i mean am i still listening to this you know it was so it was amazing um oh, four quartets and mr Reef, ralph fins yes amazing um, yeah yeah i think that was one of the most special special experiences although i just performed in india um, last fall right and i went to um, my hometown which was uh, you know in tamil nadu and it evoked a memory and possibly an answer to why stand up at this stage in life you know um, i remember when i was 16 or 15 witnessing one of the most prolific tamil comedians on stage you know um, i was trying to jump out of my boarding school because i i had decided i you know i've had enough of this crap you know i need to get out i need to call my dad and say get me out of this stupid school <laughs> but but that school was very wily you know they knew how to keep their students in you know they would regular programming of the great arts and you know and entertainment folks and and this guy was on stage one night you know on the night that i was planning my escape and i just sat down and i couldn't get up you know i just thought this is crazy how can this guy hold court for 3 hours and people don't get bored you know um, so i think when I, when i performed in india last fall that was one of the memories that came up for me that indeed how special it was to witness that tamil comedian sv shaker you know he was on stage for nearly 3 hours and not a dull moment you know not a dull moment and there are there are school students there are adults there are children you know so you are playing really to as diverse an audience as you can imagine you know right there in that little ground and So yeah I'd say these two are probably the most spectacular memories I have um in in re- in recent times yeah I love that thank you for sharing those are there any other uh, productions <laughs> or projects that you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you um I am presently writing a new show um it's uh I have a working title but I'm just going to say it's a work in progress it is <laughs> it is trying to sort of um take a very long lens on to what it means uh to have certain world events affect you you know decades mm-hmm. on and in this case i think um the death of the queen and uh, the 5 uh, minute election of miss liz truss um sort of prompted this <laughs> new hour although i don't i know i don't know as i write it i feel like it's less political and more i don't know it has themes from everywhere so i'm not really sure what the shape of it will be by august but uh, yeah there is i'm i'm writing a new show we'll see where it lands that's it's awesome. a work in progress it's a work in progress yeah. well i can't wait to see it that would be great finally if our listeners want to get more information about your show from bc to ad before children after diapers or about the funny immigrant festival or about you they maybe they want to reach out to you how can they do that uh they can look me up on instagram uh, i'm at comedy.av uh and i also have a website um 
anuvaidyanathan.com all my comedy uh, work is on that instagram page you know with links and everything for for tickets um <clears throat> and yeah if anyone wants to reach out to me i think that's possibly one way to do it and uh, yeah learn more about my work well amu thank you so much <laughs> for joining me today <laughs> Uh, Thank you for letting me bumble on yeah, about playwrights and names that I couldn't recall quickly. But no, yes. I, I, I appreciate I'm sure that I'm going to get the list and then I'm going to be like, quick edit. Here is Anu's list. Uh, Absolutely. You know, wonderful talking with you, learning about your show and just about all the amazing things that, that you've done and, and just all the things you know. I mean, you are a fascinating person. I would love to just chat with you for hours on end, but you know. Of course, we have to let you go and get back to other things. But um, I, I look forward to seeing you at the Funny Immigrant Festival. And I appreciate you making the time for us today. So thank you so much. Yes, this was wonderful. Thank you for speaking to me. And I hope to see you soon, too. What days are your show being performed, by the way? Yeah, it's only one day, the 12th of January. That's a Thursday at 7 p.m. And we, we, um, we took the 7 p.m. slot hoping to sort of invite more moms and dads in um, because, you know, uh, late night on a Friday night, my husband and I are basically brain dead. So we thought, you know, let's apply, <laughs> let's apply the logic and see if it goes anywhere. So, yeah. Amazing. 12th of January, Thursday, 7 p.m. at the Crane Theater. See you there. Yeah. My guest today has been Anu Vaidyanathan who is the writer and performer of the show From BC to AD, Before Children, After Diapers, which is a show that's part of the Frigid New York Funny Immigrants Festival. Her show is being performed one night only, January 12th at 7 p.m. at the Crane Theater, but the Funny Immigrant Festival runs January 7th through the 14th at the Crane Theater and under St. Mark's. Tickets and more information uh, are available at frigid.nyc. And you can also get more information uh, about Anu and all of her works by following her on Instagram at comedy.av or visit her website, anuvaidyanathan.com. And we're going to have all this information posted on our episode description and social media. Don't miss out on this great, smart, funny show. Uh, performed by this great, smart, funny triathlete, engineer, writer, comedian, all around amazing mom. Yeah. <laughs> also explains my hair loss. Yes. <laughs> 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 Wonderful speaking with you, Andrew. You Thank too. you so much. <laughs> yes. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. <laughs> Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One thing the praises of Cape. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. 
There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.